Hey, we get it. You don't want to be hearing a progressive commercial right now. So let us tell you something you do want to hear. You are powerful. You're a warrior who bathes in your enemy's tears. Then you step out of that refreshing tear bath and into a bathrobe that somehow looks good on you. Yeah, you can pull off a robe. There. Don't you feel better? You'll also feel better when you save money for driving safely with Snapshot from Progressive. Mmm, savings you can use to buy more robes. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Snapshot not available in California, North Carolina, or from all agents. Hey guys, welcome to this episode of the Inside Line Formula 1 podcast and hello from a warm and sunny Mumbai. Uh, I'm Mithila and I co-host the podcast. Guys, we're a weekly show on the sport, on the business and the world of Formula 1. Hi everyone, my name is Kunal and I'm sure by now you guys all know that I'm the chief interrupter of the Inside Line F1 podcast because <laughs> I do this week on week It's with Mithila. It's an important Mithila. role. <laughs> yes, and the Inside Line F1 podcast is actually recorded across several cities in the world. Yeah. We just happen to be in Mumbai while recording this episode. Literally, Kunal, we're always traveling somewhere or the other, and Kunal is relentless, guys. Even when we're on holiday, he always makes sure we record our uh, episodes. Yeah, we've actually recorded episodes from race venues when we've traveled to the races we've recorded in mumbai as you guys know we've recorded in parts of spain but for the last few years uh, you know our home base our milton keynes to red bull racing our walking to mclaren is the friendly city of oslo in norway awesome so kunal before you get the jump on me i'm going to do it to you and ask you what's the one fun fact you'd like to tell our listeners this week Uh I am a Sagittarius or a Sagittarius that's my zodiac sign. Okay cool. So I'm I'm going to take a cue from you and share with our listeners that my zodiac sign is Aries. Right. So in this week's episode of the Inside Line F1 podcast we discuss how Carlos Ghosn could have been the answer to Renault's unsolvable problems in Formula 1. We also discuss Formula 1's TV viewership. Guys, the classic free-to-air versus pay TV debate. And uh, we wonder why people are still asking Sebastian Vettel how many cylinders would he rather have in his F1 engine. You know, it's it seems like, you know, everyone's tired of asking Sebastian about his spins and mistakes. So hey, we have airtime with him. So what do we do now? Let's just ask him about engine cylinders because he's always got a different answer. each time you ask him that question <laughs> yeah and we talk about the upcoming car launches very exciting and mclaren's flawed numerology absolutely Oops. i don't know how they got that flaw in their numbers it's simple math <laughs> that they got wrong but uh, your simple things that you can get right you can subscribe to the inside line f1 podcast on every single audio streaming app on the internet You can listen to us on iTunes, on Google Podcasts, on Spotify, on Castbox. Just search for us, and we will be right there. Before we start the episode, a quick uh, round of thanks to Yash Paritkar for reaching out to us via Twitter. Uh, Yash pointed out that we were one of the first ones to call out that circuits will optimize usage between Formula One, Formula E, and other motorsport series in the future. So just a few days ago. Uh, news came out that the Mexico City circuit will use parts of the Formula One layout 
to host Formula E this season. Kunal, I just love how our predictions keep coming true. Yeah, and, uh, and they, they keep coming true time and again, right? Yeah, and I mean, we had predicted that Max Verstappen would win his debut race with Red Bull Racing. And that is exactly what happened. And I'm still so proud of that prediction. And for those who don't believe us, you can go back and search for that podcast. You know, the title was Verstappen will win on his Red Bull Racing debut. And you can see the, the date when we actually published that podcast right awesome and guys uh, also very exciting we have a new opening tune for our podcast uh, for the new year actually and y'all would have heard it before the start of this episode as well and uh, thanks to our listener Patrick who reached out to us via Facebook and told us he really liked the tune so thank you so much and thank you Lucin we love your tunes much like we love your music and guys, uh, you guys can all listen to Lucian's music, apart from just the opening and closing tunes of the of the Inside Line F1 podcast. Uh, just search for Lucian Byfield on Bandcamp. Yes, Lucian is the mastermind behind the uh, opening and closing tunes. For several seasons now, yes, right? It's yes. like It's like a contract which just keeps self-renewing, right? <laughs> we love you, Lucian, and we love your support for the Inside Line F1 podcast, right? But let's get to business. So there are reports doing the rounds, and these are official reports that... Uh, speak about Formula One's viewership, the growth, the core markets, and these are numbers all through 2019. So the summary is that the core markets of the sport haven't changed. It's primarily the European markets. You have the UK, you have Germany, the Netherlands, and the likes. And all of these countries contributing large chunks of viewers to Formula One. To me, Kunal, the biggest surprise was that there was a 250% jump in the Polish market. And I couldn't believe it, but this is literally the Robert Kubica effect. Absolutely. And like, uh, we've impressive, right? Yeah, very. we've seen a very similar increase in Polish listeners for our podcast as well. Yes, hi to all you guys tuning in from <laughs> Poland. It's, it's good to have Poland sort of break into the top 10 in the last 12-15 months for the Inside Line F1 podcast as well. Very true. In fact, I'm remembering now that last year, I think it was April 2019, I remember because it was like my birthday week, and we recorded an episode from Krakow in Poland last year. And I absolutely loved the city and the nightlife of Krakow, right? Uh, we're going to try and get Robert Kubica on our podcast later this year, we're going to keep our fingers crossed and try and make that happen. Okay, but uh, moving on, the stranger part in this whole viewership report that came out to me, there were actually two things, so stranger things. Um, the first one being the whole discussion about the free-to-air versus paid TV debate. It's been going on since decades and I, I'm assuming it's going to keep continuing. Uh, the second part was, of course, about the number of Formula 1 fans in India. Yeah, I made a note about the Formula 1 fans in India bit as well. And uh, the record, uh, the report, sorry, claims that there are like, what, 31 million fans in India and that it's like the fifth largest market. And it isn't explicitly mentioned, but I'm assuming that this is the digital audience. Yeah, I, I assume that it's the digital audience that, you know, they're sort of hinting towards yeah, or talking Yeah, because India well. doesn't refer in, uh, feature in the top 20 television markets list. The nation wants to know why are these 31 million fans not tuning into the live Formula 1 broadcast on Star Sports? Well, that's a good right? question. And where are these 31 million fans when it comes to listening to F1 podcasts? <laughs> because India doesn't really feature, uh, I think it's, it is in the top five, but 
like at a much lower number five level, even for the inside line F1 podcast, right? And at this rate, you never know. Just one appearance from Robert Kubica and Poland will be like top three in, in our, <laughs> you know, country of listens as well, right? Uh, but uh, the repeated question in Formula One, which I would like to discuss, is always whether the sport should pursue, you know, free-to-air or pay television broadcast. Oh, Kunal, you know, I thought the repeated question in Formula One was always whether the sport should ditch the hybrid turbo V6s and bring back the V12s or whatever Sebastian Vettel keeps talking <laughs> about, you know, basically. Uh, just a few days ago, this is really funny. He said that if he could, he would double the cylinders in a Formula One engine. You know, absolutely no one, you know, speaks about this apart from Sebastian Vettel. And it seems just so crazy to me because... We keep circling back to this question and to this, oh my God, do we have the right engines in Formula One? And now they're even talking of two-stroke technology in engines, right? And let's remember, it's been 70 years to Formula One. And this is the seventh season of the hybrid turbo power unit era of the sport, which means 10% of Formula One has already run on hybrid turbo power, <laughs> right? It's time to get used to it, guys. That's all I'm going to say. And for all those who actually complained of how the hybrid turbo power units, you know, don't have the grunt and, you know, lack the noise and all of that, I'm sure all you guys celebrated when Ferrari and Mercedes tweeted their fire-ups for their 2020 power that units. That was right? fantastic. <laughs> that was really, really... Yeah, so let's embrace what is actually come our way, right? Which then also brings me to the other repeated question, free to air or not? Should we go down the paid TV route or not? And to me, I'd rather stick to paid television. But Kunal, before you continue, you have to issue a disclaimer. Yes, I actually promised Mithila that I would issue a disclaimer. <laughs> so I produce Formula One television content for Via Sport. It's the official broadcaster of Formula One. And yes, our content is behind a paywall, right? But that's exactly my point. In terms of, uh, you know, quality over quantity, uh, I believe that, you know, if we were to switch to free-to-air, and when I say we, I mean Formula One, uh, you could question the quality of the audience that free-to-air television would bring. And hence, you could then also question the quality of the coverage that a free-to-air broadcaster would be able to offer. And I, I say this on a global level, not just for one or two particular markets. Yeah, that's a very interesting perspective, actually. And I think at this point, I should reassure all our listeners that guys, do not worry. The Inside Line Formula One podcast will always be free to air. Uh, and we have a model that allows us to be free while giving you all quality coverage from some of the races uh you know, live on the calendar. You know, guys, honestly, I have no idea what model <laughs> is talking about. It sounded fancy, yeah. I had to say it. The the only model we have is we, we hook up our, you know, microphones. We just get started with the, the recording software. We press record and we start talking. That's the only model I know, <laughs> right? But this actually reminds me, we need to make our race bookings for 2020. We will let you guys know where we are headed. So if you're around, you, you know where to sort of find us and let us know that you're going to be at that particular race. But that's for later. Let's let's move on. Yeah, you know, Kunal, there's also an alternate view. Uh, and we always try and offer the alternate view on our show. Uh, is pay television the best way for Formula One to make money from television broadcasts? Uh, like we know that TV deals are the biggest source of revenue for the sport and obviously hence the team. But given how boring the races can get, I'm wondering, can or could free-to-air drastically reduce the rights fee? 
you know uh, why not that's eventually my answer uh, to to the question because i personally believe that pay tv deals are best for formula 1 uh, for the teams the broadcasters and the fans because everyone knows what to ex- what to expect in terms of money and content right now the big question out here the moot question that's always been is whether the race will actually be boring or not and we're going to ask ourselves this question 22 times in 2020 <laughs> and it's unfortunately been a question we've asked ourselves several times in the last several decades like will the race actually end up entertaining us or not Yeah and we could be asking that question 25 times in 2021 because there's a chance that we could have 25 races on the calendar. Uh by the way this is very interesting. Baku has actually measured the impact that Formula 1 has had on their local economy and the number comes up to 500 million dollars. Incredible, Incredible. right? And this is over the four years that they've obviously hosted Formula 1. And I really wonder where you know if this percentage of impact comes from a sale of car parts from the Red Bull racing cars that first happened and Ricardo crashed a couple of seasons ago or when Leclerc <laughs> put his Ferrari you know in the barriers in qualifying last year right you know that's very evil but funny <laughs> but i i still remember you know how in the first year uh, of the race at baku they put up these huge printed pictures of building france because the buildings they were actually under construction and they didn't want to have like ugly facades that seems like that total indian jugaad as we'd call it or you know like a cheeky solution to a very abnormal problem in yeah, life. Yeah, we had a good laugh I remember. <laughs> uh I really think though that Baku has become such an important part of the F1 calendar. I mean, I love the circuit and it's given us these amazing races. Yeah, and you know, it's the unpredictability that sort of uh you know, rises in Formula 1 race results when we are in Baku and that's what we all love about uh, the sport or rather the race out there, right? And I won't be surprised if a lot of new markets entering and trying out Formula 1 could actually go down the baku way and you know since you spoke of some model like, let me call it the baku model okay <laughs> uh it's like having a street race so that the infrastructure costs are low while you're sort of evaluating whether or not formula 1 actually works for your country and like we are going to see vietnam is attempting something similar in 2020 that's true and i think for the existing markets uh zandvoort is really a great uh inspiration you know a circuit that they can draw so much uh inspiration from and uh, kunal that reminds me of something romain grosha i think it was romain grosha said that the uh, cheapest changes to make formula 1 you know more fun and more entertaining is to tweak the circuit design and not really tweak the cars or the engines yes i think it was romain grosha and You know for all the jokes that all of Formula 1 repeatedly throws and you know makes at Roman Grosjean's expense he seems like a smart chap he does yeah. he does and hats off Romain actually said this and I really hope that a lot of circuits uh, take uh, inspiration and some some bit of control of the fate of their races in their hands like Sanford has you know uh, they know that they actually have a crowd pillar, puller in Max Verstappen but they also know that a formula 1 grand prix is not necessarily like a formula e e prix you know where entertainment can almost certainly be guaranteed right so it seems like sandford is trying to control all the variables that they can possibly control like we've seen you know how there's a lot of talks of their banking and how it's going to make a big impact in the race uh, red bull released a video of verstappen driving through the banking just last week at some point and then there are reports of how they've got on a shorter pit lane so it helps 
you know, induce a different tire strategy. They're trying to use different track surfaces and so on. So whatever Sandvoot is doing, it's for the first time we're trying to, we're at least being told that circuits are trying to control how much fun fans have at the races. I'm really looking forward to Zanfurt, Kunal. Uh, Speaking of new races, I think Miami is jumping the gun on all counts. Uh, There's no race confirmation yet, but they've already gone and announced a change in their circuit layout. Yeah, it could have been that Herman Tilke would have just called and said, guys, how could you approve a circuit without me looking into it? (laughs) And, you know, let me add a couple of corners because this layout seems a little too exciting for Formula (laughs) One, you know, so... Let we need me, to tone it down. Yeah, let me put the Tilke stamp on it, right? But in this week's episode, we've up until now discussed uh, the Formula 1 viewership. We've discussed circuits and, you know, their different approaches. And now it's time for us to discuss car launches. I can't believe that it's less than a fortnight to go uh, for the car launches. I mean, the off-season, we were so, like, we were complaining about it. We were concerned about it. And now it's gone by so quickly. You know, this is where I'm going to quote Einstein's theory of relativity when he said, like, when you're with a loved one, an hour seems like a minute. And when you're touching a hot stove or a pan, a minute may seem like an hour. And this, to me, is our hot stove moment. You know, that's how <laughs> that's how torn we are in this offseason. Yeah, yeah. That's an interesting analogy. But Kunal, you're making Formula One a little more complicated than it needs to be. Isn't that what also Roman Groschon said? He doesn't want the sport to be too simplified. <laughs> anyway, too much of Roman Groschon. We should just move on. Yeah. We're not the Haas F1 podcast yet. But... Uh, I'm going to stick my neck out and say that I have a feeling Liberty Media has sort of gotten involved in car launches from 2020. And we're probably going to see two types of car launches here on. And I'm totally in favor of it, whether or not Liberty Media has sort of, you know, put their uh, might in this. So first is going to be one part, which is the teams who have money. You know, they're back to doing grand car launches Ferrari are going to do their car launch in a theater somewhere. McLaren will be doing it in their auditorium. And uh, when I say back to grand car launches, I say that because, uh, uh, you know, back in the days, teams really made an event out of car launches, right? And then there's going to be the other side of the teams, the have-nots, who literally use the first hour on the first day of testing to unveil their cars. (laughs) They won't even launch them. They'll just get the drivers to pull off the covers. And then go racing. And Akunal, I specifically want to talk about McLaren's launch. Firstly, they've gotten rid of the Fernando Alonso curse and they've done it well in time for 2020. And it really waits to be seen if any other Formula 1 team picks up Fernando Alonso again. And uh, the second point about McLaren's launch. So uh, they've narrowed in on the 13th of February 2020 as the date for their car launch. And they put out a tweet, you know, uh, about how they did some math and some numerology to come up with this date. And what they did was they added, like, uh, they gave numbers to the alphabet C for Carlos, L for Lando, and M for McLaren, or something like that. And, you know, those numbers, like, added together somehow to prove the date was correct. But Kunal, it's so concerning for me because those numbers and those calculations seem all wrong. I don't know what they've done, but it just doesn't add up. Literally. Thank you for calling their bluff. That's yeah. what I'd say. And I just hope that it's McLaren's like first and only <laughs> calculation mistake in 2020 because it was so weird. Yeah, so for those of you wondering what Mithila has actually spoken about, we've shared a picture of this tweet and Mithila's explanation on our Facebook page. Go find us on Facebook. It's the Inside Line F1 podcast on Facebook. And you'll know what she was talking about, right? 
But this is exactly an, an interesting point to also say why we love what we do on the Inside Line F1 podcast. Because we don't literally don't let anything, you know, pass our eyes without such intense scrutiny, right? Yeah, like like I remember we were talking about Renault and how they offered, what, 70% off on their merchandise. Uh, they had further dropped their discount from 50% to 70%. <laughs> so guys, yeah, we're watching everything out there. Yeah, and you know, guys, each time we end up missing an episode and we missed like only two episodes in 2019. Only right? two yeah. episodes. Yeah, so that's when I literally wonder if I could just access Cyril Abithe Bowles you know, book of excuses and tell you why we actually missed recording for that week, right? It would make my life much easier, I would Not say. Not that we really need too many excuses. <laughs> you can think of two a year. Come on, Kunal. Yeah, but, you know, jokes on Cyril Abitabol aside, uh, and I'm sure you guys know that we have an endless list of Cyril jokes, you know, on, on our show time and again. I believe that Carlos gone should have run Renault's Formula 1 operations when he actually had the chance to do so. Now, I know this can never, ever happen again, but I'm just saying how I feel it's like a missed opportunity for Formula 1 and for Renault to not have Carlos sort of run their operations while he was running their car business. You know, it's like they need his wizardry to, you know, break through the shackles and come back to you know, the top step step, step of the Formula 1 podium again. Yeah, you know, every time I read about his escape from Japan, you know, when he was under, uh, you know, literally full-time surveillance and he still managed to escape. And I'm just amazed because I never imagined that someone would be able to pull off something like that in 2020. Yeah. And, um, you know, when I think about Carlos Ghosn, Kunal, he comes across as like a more polished and a better dressed version of Flavio Briatore. <laughs> he well, does. The, the great Flavio Briatore, he always makes an appearance on our show as well, right? <laughs> oh, yes. And by the way, since we're speaking of Carlos Ghosn, he said that Renault-Nissan, the alliance, might go bankrupt in a few years. And um, I'm really wondering how this would, uh, how much this would be worrying Formula One, Daniel Ricciardo and Esteban Ocon in that order. And in all of this, guys, please remember Renault and Cyril are still convinced that their power unit is the best of the class in Formula One. Like, <laughs> hands down. I can't even imagine. <laughs> yeah. But, but you know, since we're talking of Formula One, it's, it's, it's a very precarious situation for the sport right now, right? Because there's, there is rumors about how Mercedes is going to decide on 12th of February this year if they are going to continue with their Formula One team operations at all. Now, can you imagine if Renault and Mercedes pull out of teams and just decide to remain power unit manufacturers, Ferrari will go back to being the only works team on the grid. That sounds like a very awkward yeah. uh, place to be. Yeah, and, and you know, at this moment, we also keep talking about how Carlos uh, Gorn could have also been a, a fantastic maverick to lead Formula One as a sport and a business forward because we keep hearing of Chase Carey's retirement coming, you know, time in again and so on. So lots of missed pieces with Carlos gone, literally gone away from <laughs> Formula One and the world of automobiles. Um, also more news from the paddock. Tata has decided to end its relationship with Formula One. And honestly, this came as a very big surprise to me, given how they jointly worked on releasing F1 TV in all these global markets. So Carlos has gone from wherever he was gone and now... Tata said Tata to Formula One. So good, <laughs> goodbye related uh, derived words, uh, you know, leaving the sport. But 
you know, Tata, of course, their big claim to fame was them setting up the F1 TV service. And I, I, I just hope that a sponsor leaving doesn't mean that the service will stall. I know it won't stall, but I'm eager to see who's going to take up the mantle and, you know, sort of jump and upgrade their services and, you know, partner with Formula One. AWS could do that because they've received a lot of flack over those tire TV graphics. True. So, but this is also the test for Formula One because Sean Bratches has just left, uh, you know, uh, Formula One management and it'll be interesting to see how soon they fill this vacant slot up, if at all. Yeah, unfortunately, they can't call Bernie Ecclestone for help because, you know, he never believed in the power of digital. <laughs> <laughs> for all of Bernie's powers of, you know, commercializing Such sport. Such a pity. Right? Anyway, uh, Kunal, we're nearing the 20-minute mark on our podcast. We've been talking a long time. Yeah, slightly so, more than 20 minutes yes, already. So closing, closing notes, notes from me, yes. First closing note, we'll be back sooner with the next episode and it might not actually be a seven-day long wait. So Yeah, guys, we're going to make up for the week we lost last week. We felt really bad about that, so we promise we'll be back soon. Final point, Helmut Marco has made, has made statements about Carlos Sainz Jr. shining at McLaren and how he was almost there at Red Bull, but never really as good as Max Verstappen. Now, whenever we interview uh, Helmut Marco next, uh, you know, I'm going to ask him one very simple question. Would he actually hire two Max Verstappens at Red Bull Racing. Because every time he's making a driver comparison, he's comparing them to Max Verstappen. But I get this feeling that he wouldn't hire two Max Verstappens at Red Bull Racing because they wouldn't be good teammates to each other. Oh, that's a good point. Right? And this is where I think that Red Bull Racing have missed an opportunity to have a strong second driver in Carlos Sainz Jr., just that they may never admit it. Yeah, it's actually strange because they lost Carlos Sainz first and then Daniel Ricciardo. Uh, and, Kunal, the funnier fact in all of this is that for Red Bull Racing's love for young drivers, it's actually Carlos Sainz Sr., who's like his uh, Carlos Sainz Jr.'s father, as we all know. He is a Red Bull Racing driver while his son isn't. So it's, it's quite ironic. Right. And Helmut Marko has already said that no other dropped junior Red Bull racing driver will be brought back to the team uh, like, you know, Alexander Albin was. So I guess that's just going to conclude Carlos Sainz's journey with Red Bull. So he's probably never going to come back and we'll never know how he would have actually stacked up against Max Verstappen. Great. So on that note, ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for tuning in. We've had a great time on this week's episode and we'll be back before you know it with our next episode. Thank you so much and we'll see you next week. Adios. Adios.